All right, so why don't we start up with Jaha and Jaha and Kark. I had a ton of thoughts about that scene. It's so interesting because I remember when we were talking about the finale um, of season three, feeling like I had no idea what in the world they were possibly going to do with Jaha in season four that I would possibly find even remotely interesting. Like it felt <laughs> like, you know, the only the only appropriate ending for his character at that time felt like, okay, his whole storyline has been the City of Light. The City of Light's been destroyed. He totally should die here. You know, like it, it just felt like it, it, it was the only thing that felt like it made sense. And, um, and so the fact that he was still alive, I was a little salty about. And then, I, you know, and Isaiah was, was – you know, tweeting pictures from his last day. It was like, okay, so he's clearly like, he's around all season. Like he seems to be like, he's alive this far in the finale, you know? Uh, and I was just like, what are they going to do with a whole season? <laughs> <with that damn laughs> job? Um, it's, I, you know, it's so interesting. Like I, I, I don't like him as a character. And like, if you ask me like, who's your least favorite character, I'd always be like, Oh, fucking Jaha. And yet it is, it continues to amaze me, and I feel like we talked about this a little bit last season too. And then, and then also when we did our couple of episode one podcasts, like as much as I don't think of him as a character that I enjoy, it's amazing to me how often um, he is hardwired into the central kind of moral crux of the plot. You yes, know? and yes, like how how effectively they can use him to sort of embody whatever the big moral questions are that the characters are talking about and and what's the what's the sort of crisis on the table you know so in season 1 it's like you have you know Kane on one side Abby on the other side sort of duking it out and then Jaha in the middle having to make these decisions and um and he's sort of deeply embedded in that and and that, so I part of me I wonder if it's because the nature of the alley and the city of light storyline really took him for a long time in seasons two and three, almost a hundred percent out of engaging with his people the way he was in season one. And because that, because season one Jaha, like I liked that Jaha, like I was very yeah. interested in that Jaha, you know? So part of me just sort of wonders like, is it, is, is, is what I need from Jaha to find him interesting to have him knee deep in the day to day shit with his people and not, you know, kind of like wandering around the countryside like an itinerant, you know, cult crazy person in storylines that really separate him. I um I think I think he's more interesting when he's really at the heart of the kind of political and decision making stuff. This is I feel like our first real little nugget of Jaha backstory that we learned that he used to be an engineer. Yeah. Like that's, that actually that surprised was the, me. The, I was kinda like, oh really surprised huh. me. Yeah, and I I mean and it's certainly it's certainly useful and it and it added a fun little dimension of like you know, like Raven getting to boss Jaha around and Baha Jaha kind of like humbly submitting to it, you know, like I was like, Well, this is this is an interesting twist, you know, and um like a total a total role reversal and and that so that was the one thing I remember thinking, you know, after the City of Light, the one piece where I was like, All right, if I'm gonna be brought on board with, you know, a whole season four of goddamn Jaha. What I want to see is like, how is he a different man now after the things that he's done? And how is he the same man that we first met? You know, sort of like, what are, what are the, what are the core pieces of Jaha that are unchanging? And what are the things where we see that he's really been transformed by this experience? Um, and seeing him kind of, you know, take that verbal beating from Raven and kind of like not fight back. And she tells him to go sort the scrap and he sits down and he's sorting the scrap. 
his his genuine desire to be useful and like actually being useful was was you know was a new color on him but i really <laughs> i just i had i had so many kind of unexpected thoughts about that leadership conversation you know that they that he had with clark he, in in some way he's the only person who's kind of outside enough and neutral enough to help clark see the things she couldn't see before about what happened between Jaha and Abby and Jake. Abby and Clark, I think, have it's 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 fraught with so much other emotion that I think it's it's difficult for them to talk about. You know, like but Jaha's not her mother. He's someone that she knows very well, you know, and um and presumably until he floated her dad, you know, and she was his he was her best friend's father. So they, you know, they had, they had a relationship. It was an intimate relationship, you know, for years and years. So, so in some ways I felt like, and I didn't really realize this until we really saw it play out, but like, he's kind of the, not just perfect, but maybe the only person who could really say to her, like, yeah, like you kind of get it now, don't you? Like, like I didn't, you know, like I'm not, I'm not a monster. I didn't kill your dad because I'm an asshole. You know, like you, like you feel it now, like you understand now, like no one sets out to do these things, you know, and, and that's context that she never had before, because when Abby tried to explain it, Clark was not ready to hear it yet. Clark was still in that very right, wrong, black, white kind of mindset that she really came down there with, where she sort of had the luxury on, on the arc of believing that in that situation, like, well, of course I'd do what my dad did. And I think the, you know, the piece that she was missing was like that there was another side to that argument, you know, that that there were compelling reasons why that choice to float Jake was made. She couldn't see them and she could, I mean, she couldn't be expected to be neutral now because he was her father, you know, like, of, of course it was devastating and of course it felt awful. And of course, anyone who was even remotely on the side of that decision, she would instinctively view as, you know, as an enemy, as that was the wrong thing to do. So what I really, really, really loved about this was that it, and it sets up in such a beautiful way that that final scene and the way Bellamy, but also particularly Raven, respond to Kirk's speech to the people at the end, that, you know, we're seeing that I think Kirk's sense of who she is as a person, and I and I think a lot of her sense of who she is as a leader I think is really deeply entwined with um, even in way, even when, when it isn't like textual, when the, when the story isn't talking about Jake, but I, you know, I think wanting to be the kind of person that she perceives that her dad was and wanting to make the kind of choices that he made and, and the way that she puts her people first and the way that she will do anything, you know, to save and protect them. I think that she really mentally and emotionally kind of ties that in. Like it's so locked in with her memory of, you know, her dad tried to do the right thing and he was brutally silenced for it, you know, and, and now she is on the other side of that equation. There's all of this gray area that she couldn't, see before you know so I'm really interested in and I and I and I never ever thought I would say this but I'm really interested in hearing more like in 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 the relationship between Clark and Jaha where like in his own weird way is he is he kind of the only person who really understands her on that level you know like or or can mentor her in that way that the person who's who's been there you know besides 
Raven and, and Bellamy who, you know, who they're sort of, they're peers, you know, but like Jaha has, you know, Jaha has seen some shit and he's done some things. I was really surprised how, um, how moving that scene was, how interested I was in like, hearing more from him how how big of a difference it made to get even the tiniest little hint of like jaha the man who he was before you know what what he's like that we knew so little about him besides like he was a chancellor you know so yeah i mean i i'm sort of torn though between in terms of i'm not sure that jaha is really a mentor for Clark, at least in this episode, I feel like, I don't know, I'm sort of torn between, like, is he a mentor or is he a cautionary tale? You know? Where, because, like, he, well, yeah, he that's, has faced yeah. the same choices. Um, right. Or, or been in the same kinds of, like, I mean, he's been a leader in a similarly, like, really difficult situation, you know, and, and he was chancellor and, and made all these terrible decisions, of course. But... He seems to present it, the way that he talks to Clark, he presents this as a kind of inevitability. You know, like, ah, now, you know, heavy lies the crown on you, child. So, of course, you are just, you see now how it is, is kind of the way that he's, you know, talking. And, and of course, like, when he says every decision you make wears wears you down piece by piece, etc., he's right. And I think, like, that hits Clark because she feels that. But, you know, if you think about, like, the way that that, the speech he gives her there kind of parallels the speech that Jasper gives, where Jasper also sort of implies, you know, he tells uh, Clark, well, you know, now you sound like those council members who sent us down. Everyone's trying to kind of, like, box Clark in. You know, like, you have a series of people who are trying to tell her what kind of leader is she she is now. And what kind of, and, and try to tell her, like, the situation you're in now, it means you're going to be this person. So I wonder if the, if what's be, going on is not a sort of series of situations in which Clark and the audience, but, you know, like, Clark herself is being set up to think, you know, like, okay, this is how it is. If you're a leader, you know, like, when you're in this position, you turn into Jaha, right? Which is, like, you know, weird and alone. <laughs> and reviled. Right, right, you know, yeah. and I think, yeah. that, I think that Clark does believe that a little bit. But, like, the thing is that Clark isn't Jaha, you know? Like, Clark, like, like was it Jason Rothenberg who said in an interview, Clark has Bellamy. That's the difference. And, and I think we see in this episode in a bunch of ways, Clark continuing to kind of isolate herself a little bit you know like she's she was very isolated last season she continues she won't you know she won't go on the adventure squad with or she won't get in the go along to farm station with the rest of the adventure squad and you know she spends most of the episode like alone kind of brooding or like wandering from encounter to encounter with different people until we get that discussion with bellamy and raven at the end and i think what's really like I think maybe what's really kind of, I mean, that that scene at the end is just, like, fantastic, you know? Like, that is, like, such an exhilarating scene. And it's, like, you know, of course, this sort of culmination of all these things that have been happening throughout the episode. But I think one interesting way in which that is a culmination is that the strategy that Clark goes for in telling part of the truth but not all of it is really, like, a solution only Clark would do. Because... It's kind of unilateral. Like, she she just gets there, up there and does it. And, and it's implied that Raven and Bellamy didn't know she was going to do that. But 
that decision is also like Clark has absorbed everything that Bellamy and Raven, like the arguments that Bellamy and Raven have made. And she's absorbed everything she's been thinking about throughout the whole episode. She's absorbed all of these kind of like messages she's thought about, you know, like she's constantly being accused of keeping secrets. And, you know, and what she arrives at is telling the truth and then not even telling a lie, but making a promise she doesn't know that she can keep. Because the important thing is, like she said, you know, maybe maybe hope is more important than truth. Um, because she recognizes she's kind of like honoring both the the wisdom of Bellamy's point that like people panic, you know, like you can't rely on people necessarily to be the their best selves when they're in, you know, like if you got up there and it was like only a hundred of you can live, like that's gonna be a tricky situation. But she also recognizes Raven's point that we oh you know we survive together like this cannot we cannot keep you know we can't keep secrets we can't we can't repeat the mistakes of the past and she doesn't repeat the mistakes of the past you know like so like I think that that last scene is Clark absorbing all of these different lessons um, or all these different sort of ideas that she's been kind of going around having uh, uh, listening to throughout the episode and sort of synthesizing them and coming up with a solution that honors all of the wisdom from the various people that she sort of like listens to, particularly Bellamy and Raven, um, also honors her own personal sort of sense of like moral uh, morals and goals, which is saving everyone. And, you know, we know for her, everyone isn't just everyone in Arcadia, but everyone, everyone. And she figures out how to do it in a way that is going to optimize the possibility of keeping the promise that she made by giving people the most motivation and the most hope. And so like, and that's a decision, that's a solution that Jaha would never in a million years have come up with. Like Jaha would not do that. You know, like Abby wouldn't do that. You know, like Kane wouldn't do that. Like that's, but I think especially Jaha, because like obviously Jaha is the, the quote unquote, is like the adult, is the kind of old, old guard leader um, that she's um, sort of juxtaposed with. I think Jaha is going to continue to be, obviously, our hope, because it's really interesting, a really fascinating foil for Clark. But I think what this hints is that we might see her continuing to kind of like absorb from him his experience, but process that and arrive at new conclusions from it based on her own experience and on her own connections with other people. I think she will continue, the mistake she might continue to make, it seems like, is trying to sort of, like, isolate herself emotionally, put too much burden on her shoulders, and not let Bellamy and Raven, but particularly Bellamy because, you know, like, Raven's mad at her now, not let them shoulder the burden with her. You know, so I, I think maybe, like, those are some chickens that might come home to roost, like, mid-season, you know, if there's a kind of, like, breakdown or whatever. One of the things I think is really interesting to, you know, to think about sort of in the context of that little Brave and Lark leadership sort of trifecta, which was just, oh, I'm just, I'm, I'm so excited that they're sort of back on, you know, back on the team together, all three of them, because they were, I mean, they've been separated for so long, either like one of them in the different place and two of them together, or, you know, when they finally were all on the teams back together again, they were only in the same room for part of like, for like, a handful of minutes in the end of season three and then it was like 
Raven in Arcadia and Clark and Bellamy and Polis. And um, so just so the three of them, like, in a room together arguing, it's just so fundamentally dynamic, you know, to watch. This is wonderful. But but one thing that um, that our, our friend Sarah, friend of the podcast Sarah, pointed out on Twitter that I was thinking about a lot um, when I rewatched it was all of the different Clark, Bellamy, Raven, slash Jake, Abby, Jaha kind of structural parallels where like you know raven raven is palpably the jake you know like raven and jake are are kind of almost note for note making the same set of arguments and part of what that comes from um i think is is a you know because they're you know they're hardcore science people i think there's a there's an awareness that they have of what their own limitations are and they both were like we need more brains on this and they trusted um in a way that initially abby and jaha did not trust and that initially you know clark and bellamy were skeptical the the trust that People will do the right thing and that somewhere out there, there is an answer. It isn't in my brain, but it might be in somebody else's brain. And the way that scientists collect data and make decisions is really about like casting the net as wide as possible and looking at every possible option and gaming it out. And so so there's an there's an optimism you know, and we saw this with with the, with the you know with the culling too. Like there's an optimism in Jake's belief that people would respond in a way that sort of brought out their best selves and that somebody somewhere would have the idea that was the one piece that they were missing. And and so hearing hearing those same arguments coming from Raven saying, you know, like, we need more brains on this. I need more help. We need to crowdsource this. I think some of that comes from her own place of vulnerability that she doesn't feel, I think, um, without Sinclair, like without somebody kind of telling her what to do, without somebody who is a senior engineer that's more experienced than her, she's still doubting, I think, her own ability to be the person who is like leading this project. But I think it's also, you know, it comes from the same belief of like, you know, like her her and Jake were both, you know, they're both engineers. They're both, this is what they do, you know. And um, and the idea that there's somebody out there somewhere has a plan, has a strategy. Maybe they don't know that they know it, you know, and you got to get everyone's brains together, you know. So I liked, I really thought that was a fascinating, you know, because those characters, they don't, they don't know each other. They never met. But Raven being so clearly aligned with and paralleled with Jake, I thought was really interesting to me. And then also Bellamy and Abby felt like there's a lot of, of overlap and we talked about this before like in in the way that they make decisions which it sounds like is something that's gonna come up next episode yeah which i'm really because I, I i'm so interested in that so i'm i'm i think that's really really that's like a, a cool that we can kind of see those parallels already emerging in this episode and that like hopefully they're gonna get picked up again like more so over the course of the semester or semester uh season <laughs> yeah yeah because i <laughs> you can't you can take the professor out of the classroom <laughs> but um yeah but i so i i like so the idea that like you know both both bellamy and abby you know they're so driven by like protecting the people that they care about but there's also a like a real kind of hard line like reluctance to watch the suffering of others you know and and so the choice that bellamy makes being really profoundly shaped by a total inability to look in the eyes of those people and and let them go you know like i think that 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 and him saying like we're not gonna you know like he just he couldn't he could not bring himself to have any more 
you know, blood on his hands on his watch if he could help it. And that he had that hopefulness that like somewhere down the line, you know, like he trusts Raven, you know, it's like yeah. have six months. Like he has faith that she'll come up with a solution, you know. And so there's an optimism, I think, in that too, in a very different way that like he has faith that another solution can be found. But I think also sort of tempered with this, we, and I mean, and even, even the beginning of 401, he's saying this to Clark, like we need to, until we know what we're dealing with, we need to basically forestall the possibility of people kind of, yeah, losing their shit and going crazy. You know, and then we get Clark and Jaha in this scene together where Jaha is sort of paralleling them. And so then she's the person who's kind of like, like Jaha was like in the middle making the decision, you know, and weighing the conflict from both sides, you know, weighing what Abby thinks and weighing what Jake thinks and making the decision that she makes. And, um, but I do, but I think it's interesting, like you said, like that she doesn't make, a Jaha decision, I think the decision that she makes is because, like, she's both Abby Griffin and Jake Griffin. Yeah, exactly. Like, that the choice that she makes is, like, a fusion of both of her parents. And so that's why it's, like, she's the only person who could do that. But I feel like that reminder that, you know, that he lives in her, too, and that her parents were very different people who had very different approaches to problem solving, and Clark inherited things from both of them, you know, and and so the solution that she comes up with, um, I think it, it, it relies as much as she feels like she safely can on what her dad would do, which is that people are motivated to be their best selves and, and chip in and help out and do their part. Um, if they're invited into the process and given some agency and being told that they're useful and that they're needed to help for their own survival. And, and then the, you know, the pragmatic sort of season one Abby part of that is to sort of to hold back the really like the, the real revelation of just how dire it is. And the fact that all of them together are collectively working for what might end up being the survival of only a few is that same kind of like <laughs> sort of reckless founded on nothing Abby Griffin <laughs> hope in crazy circumstances. That's really Abby's kind of defining characteristic where it's just like, you know, I'm just throwing anything at <laughs> the wall to see what sticks. Like my whole life is one long Hail Mary pass, you know? And so, so it really feels like, in in a in a really lovely way, I think it's this perfect kind of synthesis of the parts of Clark that are both those people, and and then how she kind of balances going forward, um, you know, the way that we already see like the secrecy isolating her, you know. So yeah, so I think, and I and I do think you're right that I think it's it's setting us up for a kind of a trajectory where we see that the core different thing that keeps a person like Clark from becoming a person like Jaha is that Jaha was never not isolated, you know, like even, even from Wells, who is his primary relationship that we see him have, you know, in the show, we don't see, I mean, we, so we, we only, we really only have that one flashback where we see them together. Like we get very little of them together, but there doesn't seem to be, they don't have nearly the kind of relationship that we see, you know, with Clark and Abby or Clark and Jake. So, so it's like, so even from his son and, you know, and of course, and then we have no idea how long, you know, like Jaha's presumably I'm, I'm assuming his wife is dead. We have no idea how long. So he's always been this person who's kind of like isolated from the people around him, partly because authority can do that. And partly I think inclination and nature and choice. Maybe he never had a wife and he actually reproduced by asexual budding. I would believe that of Jaha. I mean, I just had like a lot 
I have a lot of questions about like <laughs> what what Jaha in a relationship would look like. I somebody sent me an ask on Tumblr about this a couple weeks ago, and I've left it sitting there because I have no idea how to answer it. Where it was like the question was like, do I think that Jaha would ever get a romantic interest? And if so, what would that be like? And I was like, fuck, I have no idea. Even as vulnerable as he was kind of being with Clark, like he, it's still. I mean, he's still Jaha, you know, like he's still. Yeah, yeah. It's still very conceptual, you know, it's yeah. still very like cerebral. Like he's being, he's being vulnerable, but it's still, yeah. His like style of emoting is very cerebral. Yeah. He like intellectualizing his emotions in a way where you're exactly. like. I hear you saying feelings words. <laughs> Are you having feelings? Like, are there, you know, like, it's like, it's like when someone, like, like when you're mad at somebody and they apologize to you, but the apology is basically just like, I understand that you, you, I hurt your feelings. I totally take responsibility for that. Absolutely. Like I was wrong. Yes. And you're like, that's not an apology. (laughs) Like, I mean, that's basically what he says when Raven yells at him. Yeah. Uh, You know, all the stuff he did. And he's like, those are my sins. Yes. (laughs) It's like, I hear that you're mad at me and all those are legitimate reasons. You're like, that's not what I want from you. Yeah. I want to see that it affected you in some kind of a visceral way. The way everybody else who did, and people who did way lesser things in the City of Light, you know, with way less agency. Like Ilion, you know, and and Kane and Abby, you know, like people who, and and I'm sure, I'm actually really excited to see Abby and Jackson in the next episode too because we haven't gotten any kind of Jackson How's you know check in on how he's doing you know and Amori you know, like all these people who who we who we knew as people and then we saw them in the city of light as these totally transformed people we saw the horrible things they did to each other to people that they loved and and Jaha is the only one of those people who undertook that with any degree of awareness and agency he's the only person involved in the city of light who who had a moment before you know Ali kind of took over where he had all the information that was required of him to make that decision and he made that decision anyway everybody else was to some degree misled and he is the one who suggested taking away free will exactly so like yeah. all the stuff that people were made to do by Ali it's because he made the decision basically or made the suggestion right that you know, like Ali wouldn't have done that if it hadn't been for him. Exactly. So, yeah. And so, and so, the circular logic that like Ali possessing Jaha made Jaha do things that contradicted Ali's programming. It's like, no, what the Jaha in that <laughs> moment who who is who is you know suggesting that to Ali like that is that is OG Thelonious Jaha. That's the real yeah, actual right. guy you know right. who who has this sort of qualitatively different relationship with his Ali programming. Um, where he has retained much more agency. She listens to him. He can suggest things. He can change things. So it's interesting to see, like, the the places where he is and isn't owning responsibility for those things, for the things that he did, you know, because he's not dodging the accusations, dodging the responsibility. Um, you know, I mean, he his very first thing that he says in, you know, the last episode is he comes down and he says, what have I done? You know, like, he's... He's, yeah, yeah. He's, he sees that he sees that the things that he did caused terrible damage, and he is, and they're weighing on him. But it does also feel like, you know, that season one Jaha who always kind of finds a way to like slither out of full acknowledgement of his own complicity in the shitty things that he does. Yeah. It's like he's still that. And he'll guy. shave his head and like 
Don, you know, monk's robes and a hair shirt. Yeah, but there's just like something, I don't know, There's I, I still feel like there's something kind of like a core missing, which is interesting, you know, and it's kind of a question of, I can't really put my finger on if it's missing because that's something in the writing. Is that in the text? Is that supposed to be there in Jaha's character? Is that something in the performance? Is it something, is it some combination of things? You know, like, it's hard to figure out where exactly... Yeah. We're to locate that. But, you know, yeah. I feel like to me, a lot of it, yeah, and it's, and it's hard, it's always, it's hard to nail, you know, how much of this is in the writing. I think concrete choices were made to sort of present him to us really from the beginning as kind of like a man apart, you know, and, mm, um, yeah. And that, you know, like I, I think, I think walking back the, um, the thing that they sort of fainted at a little bit and then retracted immediately, um, of the idea that, that he was sort of set up to be Abby's romantic partner in that storyline. You know, I think pulling that back uh, and then, you know, and then in season two and season three, you know, he has these storylines where he's for huge chunks of time cut off from everyone except one or maybe two, you know, people. So I think structurally, I think that's in there a lot, but I, but to me, I think a lot of it is in Isaiah's performance, you know, like he's, he's a fantastically commanding actor like he's very you know he's very charismatic his voice is wonderful he has a really like he sort of is an unignorable presence but he also he's not playing jaha with anything like empathy or warmth and and anything like um kind of a um a human connection to other people that puts him in a place of real vulnerability and every other character, I think, even even the toughest, you know, with the hardest shells have had some moment or there's one person, you know, where the emotional stakes for the big things that they have to do and the big kind of life of the death choices that they make are sort of mirrored and manifested in relationships with like one particular person, you know. So like as, as hard-nosed as Octavia is, you know, strutting around in her ground or assassin gear, we know because we saw her grieving last season that that exterior shell that's how other people see her is is not her core self you know or it's not the only thing that's going on um and and even rowan i think who you know who is arguably the person sort of second least <laughs> willing to be vulnerable <laughs> you know person in the story um you know i i think that he I think there's a lot of heart in that little moment that he has with Clark when she hands over the chip. You know, like everyone else had like there's yeah. something. We see like these people connect with each other. And and Jaha, for whatever reason, and I and I do think to me it feels like a lot of it is is in the performance. You know, like even when he was in a storyline with Murphy, sharing space with Murphy and, you know, interacting so deeply, like it it there was just like a, there's like a level of remove there, you know, and so I just yeah, so I just I wonder, and I and I'm sure it's intentional. Like I mean, Isaiah Washington is like he's a phenomenal actor. Like this is this is a choice that he's making. I think that, yes, that right, yeah, that, yeah. That Jaha always feels one step outside of humanity. You know that that inside this circle, people are living their lives. They're you know they're they're grieving, they're crying, they're having sex, they're falling in love, they're forming these deep friendships, they're emotionally connecting, they're weighing the cost of their choices against, you know, how, um, 
like emotional stakes, like all, all of these sort of messy, complicated human emotion things are happening. And, and it just feels to me like Jaha is always kind of one step outside of that, like observing it in some ways. Yeah. And it's interesting because, you know, I think the one moment of really like true vulnerability that we have seen from Jaha is that moment in season one when he says, my son is dead. Like that really, really wrenching. Yeah. Like I feel like that's the one moment where I've really like, where like I felt Jaha have this really like deep emotion. You know, like you feel that that anguish um, that uh, Thelonious feels when he, when he says that, when he's thinking about Wells. And, but like, I think interestingly, I, you know, and I was thinking when you were talking about like, we haven't seen him have that moment like other characters have. And I was like, I thought of that moment as a counterexample. And then I was like, well, but you know, but the difference is, like you said, like everybody else has that moment with another character, you know, like in relationship to it, you know, like usually it's a moment of some intimacy on some level. And Shaha has that moment in a hallway full of extras. And kind of proclaiming to them. Yeah. And it doesn't really open up a greater intimacy with anybody in particular. And then that moment, and, and then that kind of passes, you know, and that goes away. And I think you're right. Like, that's another example, I think, probably to show that the performance that Isaiah is giving is a choice because, like, he is absolutely capable of conveying that depth of feeling. Oh, yeah. You know, like, that scene proves. Like, if he wanted to play Jaha as being, like, deeply tortured in that way, he could do oh, it yeah. easily. Mm-hmm. So he's, like, just, he's choosing not to. So I think, you know, it's interesting. I, and And... Yeah, and I wonder how much of that was, like, you know, this is one of the things we'll never know, but you always wonder how much of that, like, did that start as Isaiah's choice that they started writing to? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, did they yeah, find yeah, the yeah. character through Isaiah's kind of, like, acting choices? And they're like, ah, oh, okay, Jaha. You know, he's, like, he's got that remove. He's one step out of humanity, which makes him perfect for Allie, right? You know, like, he's logically the guy who's going to be most comfortable with Allie because he's already a little bit, like, feelings, eh you know, arm's length. Um. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, it's like as, you know, going all the way back to like the whole, you know, my my personal bugaboo from season one of the, you know, the strength unweakened by sentiment bullshit, where it's like, you're right. saying that like right. you're giving Kane a compliment, <laughs> but really what you're doing is you're stating your own personal values as a human being. <laughs> you're telling us right. what you like, <laughs> like what you find attractive in, per- in a person is having as few emotions as possible, you know. So I think it's it's intentional like when we see um, these characters deepening and their relationships becoming more complex, you know, I think that they they learn from what these actors are bringing. And so it does really feel like there's an awareness of, you know, of what Isaiah can do and what Isaiah can bring and that they've made this really intentional choice that this is the direction that they're taking this character sort of based on. Um, you know, based on that performance. So I'm interested to sort of see this season. Do we get any more of sort of that like emotional outburst jaha you know or or is this new sort of like cool and calculated and and returning to that kind of inward self-focused version of him is that sort of reserved? I don't know but I'm just but I I <laughs> I'm I'm very astonished at how interested and engaged <laughs> I was I was just like I yeah I know what is I know. what is this what is this dark magic what is happening by which they have made me captivated by Thelonious Jaha I'm just like what the fuck is happening to me <laughs> touche writers touche 
so I wanted to say one thing because I was thinking about this um, a while back when you were talking about the Bellamy Abbey parallels. And this will be a good transition into the farm station plot, which is the last part we haven't talked about. Which is that, like, in that, you know, talking about um, Bellamy and Abby parallels, and you're talking about how neither of them can, can sort of, like, look into the face of a person that they could save and not save them. You know, that kind of, like, gut level sort of, like, emotional, like, fuck it, I'm going to do this crazy plan just to save these people kind of thing. And it made me realize, so I think, you know, they, they bring up the calling a couple of times in this episode. And, and I think that there's like a bunch of, there's a bunch of ways, you know, that they sort of invoke it. And then I think they also kind of, they like, they subvert it at the end because Clark is still dedicated to saving everyone. So instead of like 300 people getting blasted out into space, you know, or floated or whatever, we end with Clark saying, I promise personally we will save everyone. And I actually think, I think everyone's, and my initial reaction to Clark's speech was to, like, I think like most people, I reacted in with like, ooh, you're lying. You know, like you're not telling the truth. Because we know, like Raven just said, that maybe 100. But I actually think that's maybe a little unfair to Clark. Because I think, like you said, that that's, a, that's an Abby, that's the Abby in her. I think that's her putting her faith into, I'm not giving up on that possibility yet. So I'm going to like sell that to everyone and I'm going to put myself on the line for it because it because maybe we can make it come true. That was how I really read it too. It's not disingenuous. It's maybe foolishly optimistic, but she's not being right. like deliberately. It's less deliberate misleading than like overselling a, a, rem, a like a slim best case scenario you know yeah it's like it's like abby it's the same it's the same way of abby insisting in the first episodes of season one that the kids are alive like she doesn't she doesn't really know that she certainly has no evidence that will convince jaha or kane right and it's like i have faith in my daughter which is like okay that's nice but that's not evidence <laughs> you know in hindsight you're just like kane's point of view makes total sense you're like i'm sorry abby but like the facts are on kane's side you know like he doesn't know like he's not watching this television show where we cut away from you guys to see that the but, kids like, are alive the you, point, know? you know like she sounds exactly like abby in the calling episode where she keeps saying people keep saying uh -huh. like What's your solution? And she says, we'll figure something out. We'll figure something out. I don't know what it's going to be, but we got to wait. We got to wait to see if the kids come through. We got to wait to see if we can figure something out because once those lives are gone, they're gone. So I think in Clark, we see there's there's like numerous parallels with the calling, with the, with the decision, you know, that, well, with the kids, obviously, with the delinquents, with the hundred, obviously, you know, like that was a really like clonky over the head um, <laughs> parallel. But I, but I, I missed it the first time. <laughs> I, I'm so dumb. No, I'm so dumb. I was like, I was like, wow, 100 is a lot. Fewer people than 500. Anyway, try a lot. And then no, literally, literally, I'm so stupid. I was reading Selena's article when she was like, yeah, like the slightly ham-handed symbolism of like of the 100. And I was like, 100. 100. And then I was like, like Claire, you're so titles. stupid. Oh my God, you are so precious. So anyway, I love you so, so now much. I'm just like, Oh, yes, 100, <laughs> the 100 people sent to Earth to save the, like, no, like, you know, like, we're on the same page, we've come full circle, and now, now I'm on board, but, but initially I was just thinking of it as, like, that is 400 fewer people than Raven had planned on. That is amazing. Anyway, confession session, I'm really stupid. 
um so yeah so so okay <laughs> so we have you know we have a bunch of parallels to the stuff with the hundred and um but then we also have a bunch of like references to the calling and so i think clark's decision at the end was definitely a sort of callback to the to the calling and and i think a subversion of the calling you know this is a way where yeah, clark yes. is is not jaha redux or jake redux or abby redux you know like clark is has absorbed and learned from all of those examples and is, you know, trying to do something new or, like, find a, you know, like, well, the way that Clark always does, she tries to find another way. But also, I think on the other side, on the farm station side, I think there's a ton of calling parallels, too. Because... Oh, yeah. Because, like, of course, like, the emotional stakes for the calling were established for us through... The redheaded guy and his daughter who was going blind and um, and like all those sick people who, who of course, Abby is the one who has to look them in the face. She's the one who's treating all these people right, who right. are suffering the effects of oxygen, oxygen deprivation. She's the one who knows this little girl who speaks to the father. You know, she's like in in that in the show, she's the person who has the in, who has encounters with these people, you know, to, to whom the 300 people who are going to get floated are not theoretical, but actual human beings, you know. And she's also the figure in the story through which the audience sort of connects, you know, and realizes that these aren't theoretical, these are actual human beings. And so I think there's a lot of parallels between Bellamy and his decision at Farm Station and Abby and the calling. Because again, we get the series of like, the way that that, that that kind of like the abstract problem of survival, we need the machine to, to theoretically save 500 people who are kind of over there. The way that that gets complicated and the way, and the sort of the emotional stakes of the decision for Bellamy and what finally like makes it for him is, you know, these repeated, we get these repeated sort of, moments where he like he looks at that little girl and he looks her in the eye like several times he looks at riley you know we like so we have we have a child and an adult right who we know we know we learn about them we become connected to them you know it's probably through brian but like mostly through bellamy bellamy is the one who recognizes their humanity you know and their vulnerability and the fact that this is their only chance to save them that's what drives his decision and once again we have bellamy making the abby choice in that situation rather yeah. than the Jaha and Kane choice. Like, you know, exactly. If season yeah. one, Kane were in that room. He would choose the machine over the slaves. And if season one, Abby were in that room, she would choose the slaves over the, you know, the machine. So, yeah. So I think it's really fascinating the way that in so many ways, like this episode is like, I think a really deliberate kind of replaying of those uh, conflicts on the ground with, you know, Bellamy and Clark rather than Abby and Kane. I think so too, which which is really exciting to me because I, I feel like the, I mean, the culling is one of those, one of, I think my, my favorite things that they've done in terms of, I think, really encapsulating, like if I could pick one moment that really is like the core of like, this is what this show is about. That was really the first one of those, I think for me. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and it, and it also, I mean, it just in a season that's already so stacked with season one, parallels I think this was this was the big one we were all waiting for and I what I and what I found really interesting um 
you know, and I was, I was kind of talking about this on, um, on Twitter with friend of the podcast, Brandon, um, who's a big fan of Harper, um, and about all of the different, even though they split two and two and, you know, Bellamy is a tiebreaker, all five of them come at it from a totally different perspective, except that I do feel like the two people who really are seeing it through the same lens are Harper and Bellamy, you know, like Brian, Brian is also team save these people, but, but for, I think more complicated reasons, you know, that, that have a lot to do with his own trauma and PTSD about Ice Nation, his own sort of, um, you know, his, his feelings about, you know, about Ice Nation, his, clearly he has this relationship with, you know, like Riley is, is like, Finding out more about Riley, I think, will sort of help answer those questions. But um, but for Harper and for Bellamy, you know, Harper's argument is like, I have been where these people are. You yeah. know, like, I remember what it is like to be locked up. You know, and she tells Bellamy, it's like, you didn't leave us in Mount Weather. We can't leave these people here. And I, I think, you know, Brandon's theory, which I think makes a lot of sense, is that, like, that's the argument that sways Bellamy, not Brian's yes, argument. Yes, I agree. You know, I agree. It's like Harper, Harper is the one. She's she's emotionally identifying. You know, she's making sort of the Abby choice too. You know, like I know what this is like, but I I think recontextualizing it for Bellamy, like you've been here before, mm-hmm. and you remember the choice that you wanted mm-hmm. to make. Mm-hmm. You know, which was to save everybody, and that choice was removed from you in Mount Weather. Mm-hmm. You know, like Bellamy wanted to save those kids. Bellamy wanted the people who helped them. In the good people in Mount Weather, like the plan that they were all desperately trying to find a way towards was that, you know, to to not have to take all those innocent lives, yep. you know. And so I think that if the, the culling and Mount Weather sort of synthesis of both of those places where, um, you know, where he feels like he's been complicit in these in these math de- mass deaths and he was like, no, I'm not doing that again. Yeah. You know, never yeah. again. I think that was really... Um, you know, it was, and it was also, I just, I, I was excited to see, like, you know, like, like, plot agency from Harper. And I think for, for Bellamy, it was also a kind of moment of, like, remember your, the best version of you, Bellamy. You know, like, remember, yeah. remember a moment where you made a choice that you are, that you are proud of or that you feel good about, yeah. you know? You, you stand by, yeah. like, that, that it is, that you know you did the right thing, like, like, be the man you were then in that moment, I feel like is kind of what she's telling Yeah, you. and it's almost like, a, it's like a perfect contrast with what Monty says, which is that we all want to make up for the things that we've done. So Monty's reminding him of the things that he's done wrong, you know, like, of the things that he's, that he did in season three. And Harper is like, remember the time when you did the things right, when you were the person you wanted to be. Be that person. Don't try to stop being this other person, you know? Yeah, it's a, it's a positive instead of a negative framing. Right, yeah. exactly. And, and and that and so I I think in in the same way that what's really what's significant about the culling is the realization that we get afterwards that Abby was right and that those lives could have been spared if they had trusted her sort of seemingly abstract you know faith and and waited I feel like is setting up really you know really neatly and and not to you know beating over the head with it that. I think that we are going to see that Clark and Bellamy's instincts to, you know, like Bellamy says, like, we save who we can save today. Like, there were innocent lives that could be saved. He made a call based on that sort of, you know, 
Abby Griffin blind faith that in six <laughs> months Raven can come up with something, you know, and and Clark making that speech at the end, it's that same Abby Griffin blind faith that in six months Raven can come up with something, you know. <laughs> no pressure, Raven, no pressure. I think there's also an interesting confluence between Bellamy's and Raven's points of view there that that I don't think either of them particularly noticed, but it's sort of buried, which is that they both have an underlying value for individuals that Clark doesn't like. Clark wants to save everyone, but she doesn't want to save anyone. Does that make sense? It's it's the it's her it's the Kane thing. It's the same thing with Kane and the Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and for Bellamy, you know, Bellamy's sort of like we save who we can save today and Raven's like we need more minds on this. There's a certain kind of like you know, their perspectives sort of honor like the importance of each individual unique life. We save who we can save because every person's life has worth in the moment that they're alive. That is that sort of like outweighs this sort of like collective species level sort of like, well, how big a herd can we hang on to sort of attitude. Yeah. And like, I I understand. So maybe we can now switch over to the debate about um, both in show and out of show debate about the decision in farm station, because I think what's interesting, what, what I really like about that dilemma and why, I mean, you know, like it's both frustrating and like really, really satisfyingly frustrating is that, <laughs> is that like, you know, Bellamy's decision and Bellamy's point of view that would like the, we can save who we, we, we save who we can save today thing. From one perspective, it is very short-sighted, you know, like, because like, and deliberately so he's like, look, like my, his, his, um, priority is with the lives that are in his power to protect at this moment. Like, at this actual lived moment in this situation. And, like, yes, that means that he is setting aside the long view, you know, the big picture. The, the like, six months down the line, what are the conditions that are going to lead to having, to, to keeping the most people alive then? Like, yes, he is sort of shutting that out. But I think that, like, when we're talking about, when we just talk about, like, long view versus short view there's a tendency to i think often want to privilege the long view because in an abstract way the long view definitely makes more sense you know like because like 500 is more than 100 but on the other hand i think there's something that almost more ineffable but but more the only word i can think of is human which isn't quite the right word about bellamy's point of view which is again that it, it really sort of like recognizes and honors each individual life as being uniquely important in a way that the long view just absolutely doesn't. The long view is like, the long view doesn't care about who you are. It's just like, it's kind of almost like random whether or not you wind up being in the herd of people who get saved, depending on how big that herd is and how big the calling half of the herd has to be. And Bellamy's view is like, you're a person in front of me and as and because you're a person in front of me and I have it I it's in my power to to save you or not I'm going to save you because you're a person and therefore inherently worth saving. There's a kind of like deep moral perspective there that I think is easy to lose track of when you're talking about sort of big picture long-term things but I think that is that is that should not be lost touch with. And it, like, I think, you know, and that, that decision in Farm Station is like, it's fascinating because I think it's that, it's that classic philosophical 
you know, if like you're if you're at an ethics 101 class, I think this is like one of those. Things. I was gonna say I I remember this from like like ethics in like in high school, like high school religion class. You're standing at the the switch on a on a railroad track, and the train is coming towards you, and you have to pick one track or the other, and the the train can't stop. And if you and down one track is 50 people, 50 strangers, and down the other track is your mother. Yeah. Which one do you pick? And then the debate is. Which is the moral choice? And that's like, and that, you know, and this is a classic, like, this is a classic sort of thought exercise in philosophy because, because in order to answer that question, which is the moral choice, you have to articulate a whole series of prior sort of arguments about what makes that choice valuable, what makes a life valuable, what your value in life. It's like numbers versus personal relationship, right? And so, again, like, at, on the abstract level, obviously, 50, is, 50 people is more than one person. 50 people dying is worse than one person dying. But, like, contextually, like, could you pull a switch knowing that that meant your mother died? Or, or like, the psychological experience, like, experiments where, let's say you have to look into the eyes of that one person as they die, and, but the 50 people are behind you. You know, like, how does that change the moral situation? These are those are like real and serious questions that I don't think should be put aside. Like, like I, yeah, I, I think it's like a true quandary, the the quandary that they're in. Yeah, and I think I, the thing I think is really interesting is the ways in which that, like, and 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 again, like, if we're gonna if we're gonna meta about meta, but like, <laughs> I think you know one one place where you know I, I guess a, a facet that I think is really interesting that's hardwired into the way we watch television the way we watch this television show, you know, like I don't think there are very many people in this, you know, in the fandom who felt the exact same gut punch for the grounder massacre as they did when Lincoln died. Yes, exactly. You know, so like on an abstract level, you could say, you could put yourself in Bellamy's position and say, you know, the, the right thing to do is always to, you know, is, you know, killing more people is worse than killing fewer people. The right thing to do is save, you know, maximum lives. But the gut punch is is the relationship, is the looking in mm-hmm. their faces as they know mm-hmm. them, you know. And um, and so the same way that a television show can, um, you know, can create a, a deeper and much more compelling emotional reaction to the death of a character like Lexa or Lincoln, you know, or even like Maya, you know, somebody who like we we've, we've watched them, we know them, we've looked in their eyes, we know who they are. And and that's very different from a, a large group of red shirts or a group of, you know, or characters who are extras or even or even with the culling where like we met those people, we saw them, we engaged with yeah. them. But it was still different, yeah. you know. And um and so I think that the the very way that television shows like this one address death and handle you know the death of characters sort of reminds us that we all have in us that capacity to to be really swayed and conflicted when it's somebody right in front of us that we know that we're looking at who is the person who is in that situation you know and and I and I think something that is really important not to discount in this is that both the culling and Mount Weather are theoretical for Raven in a way I mean like she was in Mount Weather like she was she was tortured in Mount Weather like she she went in but she wasn't held captive in Mount Weather 
over the long term in the same way that somebody like Harper is forever transformed by that experience. Yeah, and she wasn't Bellamy in there for days and days. Bellamy who saw what their lives were like. Yeah, exactly. Bellamy who knew the people who lived in there, who saw them, who, yeah. So I so I think that, um, you know, I, one of the things I thought was really wonderful about the way both with the Clark, Raven, Bellamy, you know, their sort of disagreement, and then also with Miller and Brian and Harper and Monty and Bellamy inside Farm Station, like bo- both of the two sort of clusters of people that that are that we hear sort of debating this issue. I think it's interesting to contextualize that with how it interacts with their own personal experiences, you know. And I think Brian is a really um, Brian and Monty are, are really vivid examples of that because Brian's trauma of what they experienced at Farm Station that we had sort of alluded to more from, I mean, we heard more about it from Pike last season, but we also were sort of hardwired not to think too highly of Pike. I mean, some of us loved him, <laughs> but like narratively in a macro level, you know, like Pike, Pike was not, you know, Pike wasn't a POV character for us. Like we talked about last time, like, you know, and so, so Seeing the depth of Brian's PTSD and trauma about Ice Nation, about the notion of, you know, like of of how close he could have come if they hadn't stumbled upon, you know, if he hadn't been in the group that was with Pike that, you know, Pike kept alive for all that time, that could have been him chained up Mm -hmm. there, you know, and um, I think he's... He's so he's very vividly like he's like we're watching him reliving the trauma of all of this stuff. And I think the same thing for for Monty, where we get Monty really diving back into his own very dark, you know, losing his parents kind of trauma, everything that happened with Hannah. Yeah, I just I felt like everyone's choices that they made were so emotionally correct like emotionally mm-hmm. logical and and sensible and and, and character right driven based on who that person is yeah. yeah like everything that's happened to that person the plot of course had to have it split down the middle and bellamy decide but but the plot was being really character driven like that split made perfect sense with that group of people yeah and and that we see it having like ongoing relationship fallout like yeah. this isn't going to yeah. be something that brian and miller get over quickly it's based on who they are. It's also, I think, positioning them in relation to each other in some ways where, like like the way with the culling did, you know, that the people who were part of that, who felt the weight of that, it changed them permanently. It changed their relationships with, with people. And I don't feel like the narrative intends us to think that anyone was making like that there was like a right choice oh yeah absolutely not i think it was like they were i think they were working like overtime to make sure that we knew that there was no right choice you know that there was like exactly two choices with very different versions of right and it just kind of depended on which one you went with yeah and i and i think that what's interesting is i is i feel like what they did i think was really smart which is the thing that worked so well about the culling was that whatever side of the culling you sort of fell down on continued to have ongoing stakes for those characters, you know? So like, like we talked before about like the culling being sort of the moment that in, in some really neat kind of thematic parallels where we, where we see like uh, a a sharp right turn in both Kane and Bellamy's character development arcs, you know, that, that remains with them. Um, And, um, and I think, so yeah, so it's just interesting to sort of look at, you know, at with at with this, with freeing the slaves, you know, I think what it tells us about the lines of demarcation that are sort of springing up among all these different characters based on, you know, 
on what what choice do you think that Bellamy should have made in relation to the choice that he actually made and and how does that sort of create a little friction you know and I and I and that little that little moment at the end between Miller and Brian where Brian is like you know at least like at least tell me that you think that it was worth it and Miller can't you know like Miller Miller is still solidly like no I think this was the wrong thing you know and um and so I think so I think it's interesting to, you know, to sort of, so it's clearly going to become, you know, I think this is going to be an ongoing point of friction. And you know what I really love about that, which I think is really interesting and like you almost never see on a TV show, is that you have a romantic relationship where the like core problem that looks like it might break them up is that they're p- two people with different values. And yeah. You know, and like that feels like so like real and huge. In such a limited amount of time in this episode we got such such depth to their relationship yeah like I totally I'm like I ship Briller I'm down with Briller I was super excited about it last season you know but we didn't get a lot of we didn't get a lot of Brian you know like I I always kind of wanted more Brian and and the bits that we got were great you know but but there was I don't know there was something about Brian in this episode that I just found so I just felt for him so deeply at every moment, yeah. you know, at every turn. I just, I just felt Jonathan Weitzel's performance was so wonderful, but I just, I felt so deeply Brian's anguish and, you know, and they're sort of arguing at the beginning when, when Miller says, if you were, you know, if you were all, if you were so all, you know, team Pike, like, why did you, you know, help us remember the grounders? And Brian just looks at him like, I can't fucking believe you're asking me this yeah, question. Yeah, right? Yeah. Like, I did it I did it because you were going to die, you fucking asshole, because I love you. And I feel like that comes back at the end. Like, I, my heart broke for Brian because, you know, when, yeah. when Nate says, like, we're cool, and he's like, uh, no. You know, like, do you no. feel like you, uh, do you understand, like, why I think that was the wrong call? And, and Miller's like, no, that was definitely right. And I feel like, because I think for Brian, you know, what, what became apparent is that Brian would make the choice, would think about, like, how does Miller feel about this? Miller is the most important for him. His life, Miller's life is most important. You know, like, Miller Miller being okay is most important. And, and you know, Brian told Miller, I compromised my values to protect you. And what Miller basically says, Brian, unintentionally, but what he basically says is, like, I won't compromise vi- my values to protect you or to do what is most important mm-hmm. to you. And I think that that's, like, that is so real and, like, that is heartbreaking for Brian. You know, for him to... And, and I don't, and in a way where it's like, I don't blame Miller, you know, like this is what I mean, like it's a different no. value. Oh, no, 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 it's no. just like Brian has been confronted with the fact that Miller does not or cannot love him the way that he would like to be loved, you know? And like, that is just like, oh my God, like that is such a hard and painful thing to face. And that's the kind of like, like that is irreconcilable differences, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and that's, and I think what's really, um, what I, what I loved about the way their relationship is, is sort of, you know, this kind of fracturing that we, that we felt happen in this episode is, you know, I mean, there, there have been like, you know, sort of rumors and whisperings and things like that, that perhaps Jonathan Weitzel's not with the show anymore. You know, that he's on, he's on another show. He's got a larger role. And so there was sort of some supposition of like, okay, did they, did they have to, for contractual reasons, write Brian off? And I think everyone was sort of braced for like, 
please don't kill another LGBT character. Yeah. Please don't do it. Please yeah. don't do it. You know, please show us that you've learned and please don't like reawaken the wrath of your fandom where we all go. I can't fucking believe you did right. that again. <laughs> and, and what I, what I think is, is both a really smart and be way better television um is is creating a framework where you know like if you like if you have if you accept the premise that you're like we have to write off this character because the actor's leaving it's non-negotiable you know same with lexa like we have to do this you know and so what they did this time that they didn't do last time is it's rooted in like you know we're we're watching like the fracturing of a relationship to a point where these people are going to potentially realize they can't be in a relationship together anymore, you know, and the, and the angst of that and the, and, and, and that it comes from that it's that, that it's not just a breakup because they have to break up so that Brian can be written off the show. It's, it's a breakup that's rooted in like everything of who these two people are. Like Brian is the only person who, who has correctly identified Octavia's killing of Pike as murder. Right. You know, like he he used the word. word. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, and, and what we, what we learn in this episode about Brian in the context of his relationship with Miller is just, I think to what extent he feels like, you know, like he turned on his own people. He betrayed Pike. He, he, like he chose Miller over, everybody else over the abstraction over the people who had taken him in, had kept him alive had taken care of him um he loved miller he chose miller and i think you're i think you're right to point out that like the really devastating thing in that final moment is like is what brian hears when miller says that that like if instead of riley it was brian that miller would have made the same yeah. choice that might not have been what Miller. It certainly is not what Miller intended. I don't know if Miller knows he said that. I don't think he does. But I think that's what Brian. I think that's what Brian heard I him say. I think so too. I think so too. And like the great thing about this episode is that it sets it up so that you clearly understand what both of them are feeling and thinking and what they hear from each other in that moment. Yeah. So like it, you completely understand why Brian heard that from Miller, and you completely understand. Miller's perspective and why he would say that to Brian. You oh, know, yeah. like there's again, there's no bad guys in this breakup either. You know, like everyone's really deeply oh, yeah. hurt, but there's no bad guy. There's just like a terrible there's just a kind of like they're at loggerheads, you know, like they've reached this point of profound differences in values and differences in expressing and and sort of manifesting love you know there's just like it's a relationship problem and and like and not just like a problem because they're in a relationship and the relationship is falling apart but it's like it's a problem of their specific relationship it's like you know like this relationship would eventually have hit this particular roadblock yeah, yeah, there was always going to be something and and it and it and it happened to come and it came today, you know, but it was it was always there. It's totally organic. You know, it, like I think that's why like that moment really hits is because it it really grows out of this relationship as they've depicted it. And they pick up those threads from season 3 like so deftly and build on them. I was really happy um to see a bunch of stuff, not just Pike, not just like Pike being murdered, but like, but also the conflict between Brian and Miller that existed in, in 3A and the compromises that they both made as they were lying to each other. Like they spent half a season lying to each other and they never mm-hmm. talked to each other, never addressed it in the second half of the season. And so I was really happy that they remembered that 
and that that came up and that bit that became an issue in this relationship like that was really you know like they were following through on the kind of like emotional repercussions and the and the relationship repercussions of those choices for these characters and that that was like i was like it was so great, you know, like it was so there was so much depth to yeah. it. Yeah. And you just yeah, and you just feel for and again, like, yeah, there's no there's no bad guy, there's no right wrong. There's there's just everyone has good intentions and they are all doing the best that they can and they have just run up against something where it's like you can't you know, like you can't wiggle your way out of this. You can't make this okay or talk around it. And sometimes the really ugly, awful thing about life and relationships is like sometimes it does not matter how much you love each other. Yeah. Like sometimes there are things in the way that you cannot get past that are that are fundamental to who you are. And like the the depth of their love for each other doesn't fix that. You know? And that's yeah. so devastating. And the and the fact that, that they that they didn't shy away from that. And also, you know, the fact that that we're getting that level of complexity with, again, with one of the LGBT relationships, yep. like really, really like such three-dimensional, you know, depth, such nuance. Um, I think that's a really important piece of the representation story, as, as important as them hopefully, you know, knock on wood, not killing off Miller if they have to write off Jonathan. Like, apart from that part of it, but also, but just to like, to really make that relationship um in in a way that it was i think in in you know in moments in season three too that it's like brian and miller's relationship is the first one that we've really seen where where the difference between the two worlds that you're from is so stark yeah you know and 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 that you know in the ways that we saw and we saw you know a lot i think in season one with octavia and lincoln but and then to some degree, I think with Clark and Lexa, with Raven and Fan, I think, but like even more. Yeah, it's know. even harder here because the world that they originally came from was the same. And so I think they're sort mm-hmm. of like returning to a relationship that, you know, on this, on the like the original premises of it. But without, I think like, this is where those months that they were apart in the worlds that shaped them when they were separated kind of all that comes home to roost. And it's been longer than that. It's been it's been those three months plus however long Miller was in prison. Yes, yeah, so it's been a long time. And I think, you know, so there's a kind of like the joy of the re- the reunion and stuff, but but like this is where they suddenly I think are realizing what different worlds they actually are now living in. And they're and they're young, you know, they got together young and and they're faced with these sort of adult quandaries now where it's sort of like you know, I I think the person that you really are in this moment and the person that I fell in love with when our lives are totally different might be very different people. And maybe it's that you've changed and maybe it's just that your sort of true self is now being revealed by these circumstances. But it's like, it's building up towards something that it feels like a rift they can't come back from in a way that I just think is just, is beautifully structured and written. All right, I got to wrap up in a few minutes, but I just want to talk a little bit more about Bellamy. Because I feel like this is a big yes. Bellamy episode and we haven't actually talked that much about Bellamy. I mean, I guess we did We did a bunch. We talked about his decision and we talked about parallels with Abby. I mean, I guess I just think like, you know, it's kind of funny because like all the promo for this episode really pushed this as like, you know, new leaf for Bellamy. He's turning over a new leaf. You know, like this is, this is like a transformational thing. And it's kind of funny because it's like, it really isn't. Like this whole episode, <laughs> this whole episode is really like Bellamy classic. You know, like... Yeah, it's like returning to form. Yeah, okay, so, like, you know how in, you know, the reason why if you go buy, like, a can of Coke, it says Coca-Cola Classic, 
is because in the 80s, they introduced a new formula called New Coke, and everyone hated New Coke. So that their solution to that was to bring back, quote unquote, Coca-Cola Classic, and be like, oh, hey, look, as like a special thing, we're like, we brought back this new thing, Coke Classic, when really it was just them being like, oh, fuck, no one likes New Coke, we better bring back the old thing. And I kind of feel like that we have like Coke Classic Bellamy, you know, like, we're like, season three Bellamy was New Coke. And then they're like, right. oh, fuck. That didn't work. No one liked that. Let's bring back Bellamy Classic. <laughs> so, you know, because it's kind of funny how, like, how many moments there are in this episode where Bellamy is just, like, kind of back to form Bellamy. You know, he's, like, he's mm-hmm. kind of smarmy and, you know, and sassy with Clark and a little bit flirty in that way that he was in season one. And he's, you know, and there's, a, like, a lot of, like, Mount Weather Bellamy in this episode in terms mm-hmm, of him mm-hmm. kind of being really, like, connected to and concerned about the lives of these these people who are, like, suffering in a confined space, you know, that he has to save them and he blows something up to do it. Um, <laughs> Plus Dad Bellamy, you Plus know. Plus Dad Bellamy, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, this is, like, yeah, like, the return of, like, peak Dad Bellamy, where, like, yeah. you have, like, the fucking, like, child who looks like Octavia on top of everything else clinging to his leg. <laughs> yep. with, like, lest you forget what Bellamy is all about, we are going to, like, attach a little girl to him. Um, for him to, like, cathect to and then save. So, I mean, I think, but it, it sort of fits, actually, we, we talked about this with Abby, where, where, like, Abby's thing in this episode was really sort of reminding us who, of who, like, core Abby is and then reintroducing to us, her to us. I think we get that a little bit, the same thing with Bellamy. You know, we're sort of being reminded of, like, you know, like, what are the core things that Bellamy is about, you know? Yeah. And Bellamy yeah. is about, like, we save who we can today, like, like, these people, these people that, like, everybody I can fit into my arms, you know, these are the people that I'm yep, going to, yep. like, that I'm going to, like, take on as mine and protect and take care of them, um, you know, and, and he's going to he's gonna be focused on that kind of goal rather than a more sort of, like, big picture, long-term goal. You know, so, like, I mean, I think it's really kind of, like, reintroduction to core Bellamy and I, and we definitely do see all his weaknesses and his strengths in that, you know, in that like, like his compassion, his heart, his like, his his sort of like the way that he is so affected by these people around him, is both a tremendous strength because he's like making this decision from a place of like I think really deep compassion for those slaves, for Harper, you know, for Brian. And, like, a place of connection. And I talked before about how I think this is reflective of a kind of, like, morality that really, like, values individual life in a deep way. But that's also a, a, a you know, that's a, that's a weakness. That's a thing that, that's, like, a limitation that he has. And it's also kind of a callback to season one in that, like, we also are reminded a little bit again of, like, yeah, like, Bellamy and Clark, when they're together... That's when the best decisions happen. Bellamy without Clark makes that decision, but he might not make that if she were there. And Clark without Bellamy is kind of like unmoored and unsure and um, and struggling and, and isolated. You know, so I think like there's a lot of ways. It's kind of funny. Like the premiere, I think, wrapped up a lot of things from the premiere was kind of like wrapping up things from season three, reminding us yeah. of the main, the overall big stakes of the season plot wise. But in a lot of ways, this season, this episode felt to me like the premiere, uh, the premiere in terms of like, who are the characters that we are going to be following most closely? Like, who are they? What are their main traits? What are their main motivations? 
What are their main concerns? We're kind of like being reintroduced in a more, in a deeper and more intimate way to all, to, to all those questions. And I think, and I think the kind of like the, the farm station dilemma really crystallized that for all the characters who were, who were there, including Bellamy. I think that, I think you're totally right. And I, you know, I was thinking a lot watching this episode about all of the things that we heard at Unity Days of the, you know, the cast saying like, it really feels like a return to season one. And I think some of that is structural, you know, that it's like one, like we talked about last time, like one A story that everything else kind of is a tributary off of. But a lot of it also too, is I think that it's really bringing everyone back to the kind of the core pieces of their identity without like erasing the things that they've been through and the choices that they made and the stuff that happened, but really like deep core self and the things that that really shape them and drive them and um and it really is just like it's just it's just so good to have old bellamy back i love bellamy classic i love i know i know i love bellamy classic i'm so over new bellamy yeah give me like bellamy 1.0 you know (laughs) it was really great to see him in this episode that he didn't apologize for the choice that he made even when people disagreed with it yeah, yeah. Both for him and for Clark, I think there can be, not with each other, which is, is something that's great in their relationship, but with, with other people, um, a tendency to second guess whether they did the right thing when someone they cared about is pissed at them. Like, I, I make the best choice I have available to me based on the things that I know at the time, and then someone else is like, how the fuck could you do that? And then you're like, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, you know, which is so relatable and human. I mean, it's like, we all do that. But I really liked when he comes back, you know, and he's just like, I made a choice. This is what I did. Yeah, I did too. And I thought it was so great that he not only, he neither apologized for it, nor did was he defensive, nor did he, did, he yep. like yep. discount or ignore the repercussions of it. You know, he was like, this is the choice that I made. Um, and and like, you know why I did it. And, and you know, like, and, and Raven's kind of pissed, you know, and he's just, and she's like, you have to live with it. He's like, yeah, I have to live with it. I know. You know, like, yeah, exactly. I was aware of yeah. that when I made that choice. I'm not denying that. You know, like, I definitely made your life harder, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but also I did what I did, you know. Yeah. And, I, and I think, and that's, that's new. I mean, that's, that comes from him, but that, like, that, that clarity of, of sense of self, that's a new twist on you know i mean he's old bellamy he's making he's making the choices that you know classic you know bellamy 1.0 would make (laughs) but but the way that he um stands by that you know and i i think is is a i think you know is is our way of showing like one of the things that they're setting up really really deftly i think with all three of them with clark and bellamy and raven that we really sort of started tugging the strings up much more strongly, I think, in this episode, is the evolution of all three of them as leaders. Yes, you know, like, I agree, yeah. Like like Raven's awareness that she has to be a different person now in a world without Sinclair and that Clark and Jaha scene. But really, I think, I think where that comes for Bellamy is not just like accepting the reality that he's often going to be the tie-breaking vote and thus... Even though it was three to two, it wasn't one to four. <laughs> right. You know, but he was a tiebreaker and he was the person which which puts him in the position that it's him and not Harper mm-hmm. who is gonna is gonna have to own that and carry the weight of that. And he just kind of is like, okay. And and so his so I'm interested in kind of how that sets up where he goes next and his arc over the course of this season in terms of how we start to see him, you know, kind of rising as a leader, both separately you know, on, on his own. And then also 
you know, and the fact that they're very clearly reestablishing, you know, the Clark and Bellamy unit, which is wonderful. But like, yeah. but but him as his own person too, you know, like yeah. that he, um, you know, Clark is his partner, but he also didn't do what she asked him to do, mm-hmm. and he doesn't apologize for that, and it doesn't turn into a fight. He's just sort of like, here's what happened, you know. I was like, ooh, okay, so he's like, he did the thing, and he's not torturing himself for the consequences of doing the thing. And I think like, and I. And I, like something also new, and I think in in or newish kind of in in his and Clark's dynamic. All that, this is more maybe a solidification of something that's been developing. Is like part of what makes them so functional as a unit is like, I mean, Clark was like clearly like annoyed, you know, like she was not pleased with his decision, but she also just like she immediately pivoted to like, I mean, I think like they both just accept each other's decisions like same thing with Bellamy at the end after Clark you know misleads the populace about Mm -hmm. their chances you know Raven's pissed and Bellamy is like well all right that's what we're doing you know so I think like like Bellamy and Clark very much they kind of like I think they they trust each other's instincts so like Clark is willing to accept like Bellamy if that's the decision that you feel like you needed to make then she trusts that you know and so she's like okay she's she's just kind of like okay this is where we're at so now we're gonna like sort of pivot to a new to to deal with the new circumstances um and Bellamy's the same way he's like okay you know that may not have been the call that I would make but that is the call that you made you know like I trust your instincts I trust your decision making so now we're like what are we gonna do from this point forward and so, like, so I think that's really, like, that's awesome. Like, I love that. And I think it's, like, kind of a culmination of the relationship that there's that has been building. But I am, and I think we, you know, we said this a little bit earlier, um, I am really glad that with that development, we have Raven to be there to push back on them. Because they need a foil. They need someone. Yeah. You know, to sort of be like, hang on a tick, hang on, just a sec. Let's stop and talk about the shit you just pulled, you know? So, so I think that's really, really awesome. And I'm like, so happy. I'm like stoked that it's Raven who does that because I I just love the three of them together. And I also feel like they did a really terrific job in, in this sort of like the, um, the very careful, precise kind of calibration of the balance among the three of them that they're all really embodying different approaches to problem solving that Mm -hmm. feel both totally rooted in, in who they are, but also like they're, you know, there's never going to be any one solution that addresses all three of those things. So we're sort yes. of hardwiring in juicy, interesting, relationship-driven conflict. And it's like the perfect confluence of like the thing, like I just I just want to yell about this forever because I'm already so in love with this season. But the way the plot is driven by character. Yes, yes. Which is like a huge change from last it's season. It's a huge change where the plot was driven by plot, where we're moving yeah. giant chess pieces around and we've got all these huge battles and we're like, we've got a million things happening and over here. And people are doing things because like shit has to do happen in plot rather than plot happening right. because characters, because like that's what the character would do in that situation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, so I feel like that in some ways the biggest, most glorious, beautiful, you know, where, where I feel like just deep down in my heart of hearts, I feel... Like they heard us. I feel like the 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 structural and pacing and out of characterness and and um kind of like Game of Thronesiness, you know, of last season. It's like somebody like somebody out there was listening because it's it's still high stakes. It's still save the world. Like like the plot 
you know, stakes are still impossibly high, but everything that advances that plot in any direction comes out of relationships between people that we care about so deeply that we, you know, we can see every facet of it. We can see all sides of it. And so I think that placing Clark and Bellamy and Raven in a position where they're coming at this from different angles with different, you know, like beliefs about what's right, different ways of approaching a problem, different ways of being a leader. Um, and there, and there's never going to be any one way that they're all like, cool. All right. So we're all on the same page. Everything is going <laughs> right. to be great. Let's go. We're fine. We're fixed. Um, so they're, they're building in conflict amongst them and disagreement amongst them into how this unfolds, but in a way where it's like, they're, they're at like peak themselves, you know, Clark yeah. is at her Clarkiest and Raven is at her most Raven, you know, and. Bellamy is at his Bellamy. And OG Bellamy is back, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, so to me, I feel like that's. You know, like the piece that was missing in season three with a lot of the big sort of high stakes, violent, bloody things that happened was because they weren't rooted in um, the intimacy of character relationships. It was very hard to care. It was hard to feel that, you know, but when you have like Clark and Bellamy and Raven who all love each other so much and, you know, and and they're locked in this kind of like, what the fuck are we going to do panic battle where all three of them are kind of like... I, I guess we're in charge now, you know, and, you know, and the same way that Brian and Miller, like, you know, we, it's the relationships are what we're getting all of this, this big plot stuff filtered through instead of the plot happening and us kind of picking out in the background little bits and pieces that are about character and relationships. Yes. I would have to say the only, the only part of this episode, the only sort of aspect of that in this episode that wasn't really like fully clicking on all cylinders for that is that there's some like aspects of the farm station plot that like as well as the sort of like character stakes for it worked and the kind of like moral stakes in general worked. There are certain aspects of it that felt a little like there. It was a little contrived. It was a little bit like we got to get these characters in this situation to make this happen. Um, and I'm willing to forgive it more because it was like, it was a contrived situation to create character moments. You know, it exactly. was like, it was yeah. contrived for character. So it was character driven. So I'm a little bit more inclined on that to be like, well, okay, whatever. Um, but I think like, so the whole like, there are slaves thing. There was a little bit sort of like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like, what are the slaves doing? Like, they seem to be making things, but why? This does not seem to be a particularly capitalist society so it's not really clear why like why Asgata has slaves except that slavery is a situation for which the moral stakes are instantly legible for the audience like you say they're slaves and the audience goes "Ooh, that's bad so they didn't have to spend a lot of it's like a, it's an easily shorthandable moral right. situation to put these people in and it's also, I think, in like both both in the short term, it works on that level, and in the sort of ongoing ways that we draw lines between Asgata and the rest of the grounders. Yeah. Because as far as we have learned, they are the only group of grounders who has slaves, um, or would have slaves. So it makes me wonder, like, are, is it ever going to become plot relevant again? Was it only right. necessary in this episode to put them in this situation? And I don't know. Or is it going to come back as a, as a sort of thing, like, well, as you know, like other tribes or like or clans are like, we don't trust Asgard because they are they're the slave they're the slavers, you know. So so there's so like that was clearly there as that kind of like moral shorthand, like this is a you know bad thing, capital capital B bad thing. 
um, that you don't have to have, you don't have to give much explanation for because everybody just kind of like is already like, ooh, slavery bat, you know. So, which is one of those things where it's like, okay, you know, for the sake of the situation, I'm willing to kind of like let that go, but I'm kind of like... That has world building implications that I'm not sure that we're ever going to address kind of way. I was like, right. <laughs> and then the other like little wrinkle, I think, is that the time crunch thing was not entirely persuasive. Like, I, I, it is 100% clear that when that kid drops that note... What happens for the characters is that, you know, because Bellamy's original plan is like, okay, we're going to get the machine home and then we're going to like tell people, we're going to like deal with the slave issue. Like we're going to talk to Ron and we're going to gather the troops and we're going to come back and we're going to solve this whole thing. But first we got to get the machine, then we come back. Um, So like, you know, Bellamy's first plan is we do both. So like obviously they had to change the situation so that they couldn't do both. So like the the little girl coming by and dropping that note saying that, that the slaves are being moved you know, that, that functions in the plot, what that tells the, the characters, and I think they even say that, is like, okay, so we can't do both. We have to do one or the other. And if I had, like, one, you know, like, nitpick, it's that it's not actually 100% logical that the characters would instantly be like, well, now we have to pick one. You know, like... Yeah. You know, like, there's one of those things where it's like, they probably don't have time to do both. But theoretically, but they didn't even try to figure out if they could do both. Um, and I know why they didn't do that. It's because they just, like, they needed to get that plot moving. They needed to get, they needed to introduce the original plan and then, like, torpedo it and start on right. this, like, one or the other thing. Um, but I think, like, that was a moment where, again, I was, there was, like, one moment where I was just like, well, but you could, or, um, okay, that's fine. All right, all right. You're telling me what the situation is. We're just going to go with right. it, you know? But I think it was like, those were the two moments where I, you know, as a viewer, I was kind of like, I am choosing to let go of things that are, that are not really airtight because it's clear what you're trying right. to do. And on every other level, what you're trying to do, I think is good and I like it and I want to go with it. But, yeah. you know, but like if I had a note, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Well, that, that's kind of how I felt too. I was like, is there... Is there literally nothing else flammable on this ship? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like, like the only thing that you could blow, and it didn't even blow up the ship. It just was like a big enough. It was just like a distraction bomb. It didn't like blow up farm station. So part of me was kind of like, um, well, but again, like, all right, you know, okay, you know, we'll we'll allow it. It's not really about the actual like. This is a one episode situation. You know, like, and it only exists to introduce this moral quandary to put the characters in. So, yeah. like, okay, I'm willing to let that go, but yeah, it was not. It would not have been my first choice, but I, but I think I agree with you. The difference is that the the, the plot was the plot part was secondary to the character. Like, exactly, exactly. In advancing the plot, what it does is it tells us without a hail mary from Raven, they can only fit a hundred people into Arcadia and they have nowhere to put anybody else. Exactly. Out of like 6,000. Yeah. So so it introduces new like difficulties to the plot that will have Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. That, that's super significant and clearly is going to have a massive, massive, massive ongoing impact. Yes. It's what prods Clark into, you know, misleading everybody into getting Raven the hands that she needs because it's like right. now they have just like the one lifeboat. So, so all that is, that's all legit. But that does not take story precedence over the emotional impact of that choice on Bellamy and everyone looking at Bellamy, waiting for him to make a choice and then judging him for the choice that he made um, or agreeing with it or disagreeing with it or whatever. 
And the huge amount of character work that that storyline did in terms of establishing who these people are again, where they're at emotionally, where they're at yeah. relationally with each other, what their values are, what choices they're going to be making. I think this like sets us up to understand what each of these characters values and what they're going to be privileging. So yeah, so exactly. So there's a, there's a lot of plot ramifications and I think there will also, this will also have ramifications for the coalition um, so have political ramifications, but like all of those in this episode are really secondary to the character work that it does. And the character work that it does is good enough that I'm kind of like, I'm willing to do the hand waving necessary to, yeah. you know, to deal with that. And you, I'm, I, I can, I can just kind of let that go and go with it because what you did with it, I feel like is good enough. Exactly. Okay. Uh, that concludes our podcast for heavy lies the crown that wonderful shakespeare quote you know that line <laughs> you had to do it again you had to do it again it's been four hours <laughs> i'd almost got it out of my system the real quote for everyone who wants to know why i'm being such a dick is uneasy lies the head that wears the crown. And I just feel like if God gives you a chance to use iambic pentameter, you're supposed to take it. <laughs> and that's why we say Belark as Belark, as we discuss. Belark, 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 Belark. In our Because it's iambic goddamn pentameter. Exactly. We are fucking Shakespearean. Um, also loopy. We will be back. <laughs> we will be back next week with our podcast on episode 403 entitled The Four Horsemen, which is a very That uh, sounds cheerful. Yeah, portentous <laughs> um title. <laughs> so, yeah. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye. Bye.